Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, we are Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the things we do. Thank you for joining us here. We also have in-person events. We also have a Patreon that you can go to and join our online writing community. It's basically a giant chat room. I saw, Josh is very cool, this past weekend, a bunch of people in our Patreon writing community hosted a Zoom event. So writers from all over the country, whoever, the world, we have people listening from all over the world, um, which is crazy. If they are in Patreon and they they are in our chat community, they could have joined this link and just chatted with other writers. It's so cool. They just had like a coffee, basically, over Zoom. That's incredible. I, um, it's awesome. I was recently celebrating a birthday no one knew about, but um, <sighs> had I checked happy birthday joshua thank you, thank you thank you had i checked patreon i would have probably popped into that zoom but i i was kind of <laughs> off the grid for a couple days there yeah it's it's super cool um and uh, yeah everyone's asking questions in there it's great and then of course we release sort of bonus content every month which is fun yeah but you don't have to do that you don't gotta go on patreon if you don't want to you can just keep listening here but if you'd like to give us a rating or write a comment, we wouldn't mind uh, if you're done listening to the episode and you liked it. You can also DM us, as always, with questions, topic suggestions, or you just want to say hi. You can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm Story Thursday on Instagram and Tasha 3.0 on Twitter. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Josh Hallman on Instagram. I'm excited for today, Tasha. Are you? I think so. I was excited and now I'm getting nervous for some reason. No, no, no. Don't be nervous. I feel like you're you're gonna come in a little heated. You've got some yeah. you've got some passion. And yeah. every once in a while, I was saying this before the podcast, I come in as the hype man and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think I might be I might be I might be just coming in hot today. That's I'm all. excited for the hype man part of this show. <laughs> I, I may not know, realize that I even need it. <laughs> well, I think because I'm a little fired up as well, somewhere deep down inside. And well, I mean, we'll get into that. But You were invested in this as much as I was. So I'm going to be talking about a pitch that I gave recently and like the whole process of it, like how it came to be and uh, how I thought about putting it together, kind of how I put it together. And then... Surprise! <laughs> I got the the news yesterday that I did not get the job. <laughs> Actually, my agent has been calling me for two days, and usually that's not good. <laughs> or it's great. It's like I magically got a job I didn't know about, <laughs> or or it's bad. And so I just I can never get her call, and I kept forgetting. And then I had coffee with my manager yesterday, and she's like, "Have you talked to your agent?" I was like. No, yeah, I owe them a call. She's like, damn it. Now I'm going to have to deliver the news. And then she just gave me this frowny face. I was like, oh, God, what? Did someone die? And she's like, no, you didn't get this job. I was like, oh, okay. Like, oh. The way you were you were approaching this was I was <laughs> – that was actually the best way to do it probably is to like act as if someone died. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. the real news <laughs> is that you didn't get the job. It's like, oh, phew. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, that's messed up. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, you know, well, we'll get into it. Do you have any this week in writing? No, this is my this week. I, I have one. I have one. Okay, go. This week in writing. So last week or a week and a half ago or whatever, did you read about Abrams Artist Agency? Yes. Closing, just shutting their yeah. doors. I yes. have a friend who was represented by them. And they didn't tell anybody. Like, it just happened. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and according according to my buddy, um, and I was thinking about that, and I was just like, this industry is absolutely batshit crazy. And then, I, whether it's true or not, I had heard from a few other people. They found out, like, very soon to when it was announced. So when we found out, like all these people were finding out that they were either like losing their jobs or losing their representation and obviously not everyone in the agency, but it was just a crazy, it was, it was crazy to me. And I've just kind of been thinking about it because it's one of those like entertainment stories that, I mean, everyone loses jobs, right? But like, I don't know, it's just so close to home that you're like, oh my God, that's, that's wild. That's very, it's very weird to imagine just not being informed at all. Yeah. You can't prepare. You're not. Why? But it, it's not a surprise. Like in the recent layoffs that were happening, I was talking to people at the studios and they're like, oh, yeah, people didn't find out they were laid off until they got to work and their key card didn't work to get into the building. Yeah. And like the man, their manager just hadn't reached out to them yet. Yeah. Um, and other people, you know, you get an email as you're signing off for the evening to say like, Hey, join us at a 9 a.m. meeting. If you're getting this email, you're fired. Um, I remember when I worked at Universal, multiple times we had very high level, like CEO level people removed from their position when I worked there. And we would find out because Deadline would post an article and we'd be like, I'm sorry, wait, our CEO no longer works here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's not uncommon. It's just very strange. No, not uncommon, but just I was like, holy moly. And it's just... Well, you know, I, there was this one time I was doing something in production and I was talking, I was at like this production house and they were basically talking about how they were going to let some people go. And in particular, they're like, we're going to let that guy go and like pointed across the hall. And I was like, him? Like when? And they're like, yeah, he's, he's basically fired. I was like, what is he doing here? And like, oh, we're going to tell him on Friday at five o'clock. And I was like, oh fuck. And it was just like. This shit, this is, it's just, I don't know. I know it's part of business and everything, but it's its one of those things where it's just always kind of, it, it gets me. It gets me. I was just having, I guess this is a This Week in Writing. I was just having a conversation with a writer friend of mine about mm-hmm. firing people. And she was like, as a showrunner, you're going to have to fire someone eventually. And I, how are you going to approach it? And I'm just like, uh, uh. <laughs> by not by avoiding it entirely (laughs) i don't know it's a it's very it's it's because she had to fire someone not not related to writing or anything and she she said she googled it like how do you fire someone (laughs) and she got a lot of like great advice online on like how to approach it and all this stuff because she was terrified she's like i was sick to my stomach to have to do this because i i love the person personally it's not a personal thing they just weren't doing yeah. their job right and uh yeah i know i haven't ever had to fire someone but that conversation 
terrifies me. And and I'm assuming that's why a lot of these shitty stories happen, right? I'm firing you at five o'clock on Friday and not giving you a heads up because I want the least amount of awkwardness in yeah. my life as possible. <laughs> so I want you out the door as I'm yeah. telling you you're fired. It's and awful. It's, it's but awful. Anyway, I hope everyone lands on their feet. And I felt bad at that Abrams thing. I'll, that was nuts. It was just, a, just they've been around for a while, but yeah. Huh. Well, hey, okay. that was uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for that. Um, okay. Should we get into the topic or do we have more this week's in writing? I'm trying to think of something even more depressing than that. Um, no, no, that was it. Let's let's get into the main topic. <laughs> okay. I had a pitch recently. And I did not get the job. And it was a job that I wanted. So we're going to talk about that process here and kind of break it down, talk about the experience of it, etc. So, Josh. Hi. It was an IP that you and I both love. Yeah. I was very excited because like if, let's say, in a universe where I got this job, we could work together. I could like hire you to work on it. We could like yeah. work on one of our favorite IPs together. It was going to be amazing. Somewhere in an alternate universe that's happening, by the way. Well, when I knew you you were pitching on this, I told you, and I've never, I don't even know if I've ever said this. I was like, I'm here 24 hours a day. <laughs> you did. <laughs> whatever like, you text me whenever. <laughs> whatever you need. <laughs> I need to make sure this all works out because I was so excited for you. Idiots. Yeah. Yeah. This came up in a weird conversation as well. I was very busy. This was this was last year sometime. I feel like it may have even been maybe it's just after the strike. I'm not sure. The timeline is a little foggy in my brain. But I got a call from one of my agents whom I actually don't talk to a lot. He's he's one of my TV agents. Cuz at Gersh the feature and TV side sort of kind of commingle. Mm -hmm. So this guy is I think only TV and I just don't talk to him as much. Um, but he he reaches out and he says, there are a couple things that have come across my desk. People have submitted things for for you that I think you would be good for. And he listed off a couple things. And I was like, eh, I sort of don't have time to do that. That's a lot of work and I don't really know what that IP is. And then he tells me this one. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. <laughs> I will make time for this one. This one, I have a poster of this one in my office. Like, I love this one. And so we started to engage. And then months later, I mean, I, mean, I, I think I, I was putting the pitch together for what? Like maybe two months, Josh, in total? Yeah. Or at least that's how long the process took from, okay, we're, we want to hear your pitch to hear your pitching to the first round and then you're pitching to the second round. So like maybe maybe two months in total. And... So the process was like Josh and I brainstormed together. <laughs> um, and at first, because it's an IP that I love, I couldn't figure out a take. And I think the thing that I was struggling with is that the original IP has really, really high stakes. And I think that's been one of the struggles in doing a sequel to this because the stakes were so high in the first one that to do huge stakes again in the second one would feel very forced. Mm -hmm. So at first I was like kind of giving up. I, I don't even know if you remember that stage where I was like, I got nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm out of ideas. Um, and I told my manager, like, I'm not sure I have a take for this. The, the OG was too perfect. 
And then she started doing what she always does, which is starts asking me questions about the IP because she wasn't familiar with it. So she started asking me questions wait, wait, just wait, generally wait, wait, wait. about what's wait. I know. Your manager's not familiar with this IP that we're not naming. That's listen. One of the most famous IPs in the history of the world. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what else. She's not familiar with, with some a lot of IPs. <laughs> I wish she was. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. It's 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 bizarre. It's heartbreaking. It's disturbing. <laughs> it's all the things. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like, I think she like was a she was aware of it. Of course. She hadn't like, what is it about? I don't know. Right. And so I had to start telling her. And so she started poking questions, which was actually very helpful as someone who doesn't watch a lot of these big bigger IPs that you and I really are fans of. Um, it's kind of helpful to have someone from an outside point of view being like, oh, let me poke a hole here. Let me let me question this. Right. And so then I started having that generated a lot of thought in my own head. Yeah. And as I had to answer questions about character, about the adventure of the story and, and all the arcs and all of these things. And then finally, and maybe you can help me out because my memory is foggy, how the idea of divorce came to mind as sort of the anchor did i just like one day be like i think it's about divorce or did you come up with that <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a hundred percent sure to be honest with you i don't know i think and this might i don't know i might be wrong but maybe this is the beauty of what your manager 1l did was when she asked you about the original ip maybe she kind of forced you into saying these are the things that i love about it on an emotional level and then mm -hmm. that kind of tied into you know, well, what do you know if this, like, what, where could this IP go into? And maybe, I don't know. I, I, this is all to say, I think the poking holes from someone who doesn't know the IP actually is a very huge benefit for you. And I don't know how it got to divorce anymore. It's all a blur. So divorce became like the crux of what this show was going to be about. And I started developing this take where divorce was the central problem of, of the hero. And okay, well, if divorce is a central problem, then the character wants to do X, Y, or Z to fix that problem, right? And that started to create character choices, which means plot. So I knew generally my hero would start the show wanting to fix his divorce and then go through the adventure of the show and realize it's actually okay if the divorce happens in the end, that he would still be okay. And I know that's something you and I talked about was like, oh, does he at the end actually like not get a divorce? And maybe the adventure of the show is actually that he repairs his family. And then because I am me, I'm like, nah, <laughs> that's, that's too happy. <laughs> Let, let's have him get a divorce and then it be okay. And, 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 and I became very comfortable with that decision because that is in many ways the, the more important lesson mm -hmm. for, to exist out in the world because divorce happens. And just because your family comes together and, you seem to have this quote unquote perfect family unit um, doesn't mean your family is perfect, that sometimes a divorced family can also be okay and be happy. And that to me was an important lesson. Yeah. And as someone who's gone through divorce, like it feels like your world is falling apart when it happens, but you survive. And oftentimes it can lead to, you know, happier roads, even better roads sometimes. So I wanted to talk about that. So now I had to figure out the adventure of the show because the show, when all is said and done, is an adventure show. The adventure is important. It's a memorable part of the IP. It's what gives the whole thing its tone, its purpose, its excitement. And so I started researching a bunch of different things that my hero could be going after, an object, a relic, something. 
and you and I talked about all kinds. I was like, okay, Josh, I know it's about divorce. <laughs> I know my hero needs to fix it. How the fuck does he fix it? I think I almost literally said that. And then we just started throwing out ideas to each other in text. And I remember one idea that came up was like a, a legend of a love potion that the ancients used to brew. And the hero would then go on this journey, kind of like picking up pieces to this recipe mm -hmm. to, to make it down the road. And I don't know, at the end, it kind of felt like the dumb first idea. Like it kind of felt too magical. Ultimately, it like was kind of too boring, I think, because the audience would have to follow this hero for eight episodes or whatever to just find pieces of a recipe. And that started to become episodic to me, sure. which means, you know, every episode is familiar. I have to find an ingredient and the audience just knows what's coming next. So they start to check out. So love potion idea kind of went out the window. But I think we were on to the right idea, which is like he wants to fix his divorce problem. The love potion, not the right thing, but the idea of the love potion and his intent with getting that is still the right idea. So, okay, then I think very quickly thought of the wishing well. And I started Googling wishing well mythologies. And the thing that made me love it was that almost every culture in the world has a wishing well mythology, mm -hmm. which already makes it less magical, less hokey than the love potion idea because I could ground this thing in some real history or at least real mythologies from ancient times. And I admit part of me didn't like this idea because it still felt kind of too easy, too magical. It's the perfect solve. I submit a wish in the wishing well and they solve all my problems. But time was kind of running out. <laughs> like I couldn't think of a better idea. I, I just let it sit for days and... I was like, oh, okay, if I just let it sit for days, maybe something new will come up. Yeah. And I just kept going back to this wishing well thing because it just felt simple, easy. I could wrap my, I could see how my adventure could get wrapped around it. And so at some point I had to put this pitch together. So I committed to the wishing well idea. All right. Can I just jump in for a second? Yeah. I love wishing wells and I, I do. I love wishing wells. I think that they are, I know, I know there's that element of like, is this too kind of like magic-y and, and is this, does this feel too childish or whatever? But on the flip side of that, I feel like what makes wishing wells so great is like when you see a wishing well, they're dirty. You don't know how deep this wishing well is. It's just, it looks like it's been around for 10,000 years and it looks like it's been forgotten and weeds are growing over it. So it's very grounded, actually grounded in the earth. And I, I always think they work and I just yeah. happen to love wishing wells. You have a great spec about a wishing well that I hope you finish someday. Yeah, I did have a wishing well spec about a couple. <laughs> That's really good. That's right. I'm going to bring that back. Anyway. It's great. Okay. So, okay. Wishing well. I commit to this idea. Right. And then I start to build my plot around my hero going after this wishing well. I create a mythology around it that fits within the world that the hero already lives in. I give him an inciting incident, meaning how he discovers that the wishing well exists and therefore decides to go on this adventure. And I remember a big conversation that I had with my manager a lot during this phase was how does the pilot end? Because her big problem with the wishing well idea was it's too simple. If the hero finds out in the pilot there is a wishing well, then goes after the wishing well, that's two one to one. Mm. Because what's the show from episode to episode? The, the audience has no surprises. We know we're going after a wishing well, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't disagree with. That is that is a problem in saying up front in the pilot that we're going after a wishing well. So 
she wanted it to be one thing in the pilot, like not naming it a wishing well or naming it a wishing well, but halfway through the show, we find out it's actually a metaphor for something else, like a hat or something, whatever. <laughs> it's like like she wanted it, the wishing well aspect to be sort of a disguise for what it really is so that the audience can have this experience and the hero also has this experience of being surprised that it's something else, which is the fun of watching a show. Mm-hmm. So my manager, I don't think, was wrong about this instinct. However, my problem was that the audience also needs to know what adventure they're going on by the end of the pilot, because you have to know what you're investing in over the course of the show. And the adventure was, I have to fix my divorce by going on this adventure. And that adventure, I don't think, could be vague. I think it had to be specific. Otherwise, the audience would be confused, like, well, why do you think this adventure would solve your divorce problem? I don't understand. Yeah. So they have to understand at least what the hero thinks the adventure is going to be. And we can change it as the story goes on, but they have to be very clear-minded about that by the end of the pilot. Which is, by the way, a very interesting point of the perspective of your character and your hero being like, this is my adventure as opposed to the bigger plot picture of this is what the adventure is going to be. Like there's a there's a perspective shift yes. I think with, with that which which I actually think is really important in all areas of writing, especially if someone's like searching for something. Yeah, and it's um it's even you describing it, it sounds like a small shift, but that shift in POV really does help the audience lean in rather mm-hmm. than you just telling the audience what this show is, which is eh, that's easier for me to tune out to that and just pay attention to your own viewing habits when 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 you tune out on a show. Ask yourself why, and that will help you understand and break down flaws in stories that you can then um, solve later in your own stuff. And for me, this is sometimes when I tune out is when uh, the adventure doesn't feel mysterious. It doesn't make me ask more questions. It makes me go, oh, all right, well, I see everything that's going to happen, and I don't need to go on that adventure now. (laughs) So I think at the end of the pilot, the hero has to get the idea to go on the adventure, and we have to know at least what he thinks that adventure is. And we argued about this a lot, my manager and me, because she wanted it to be parceled out more. Like, maybe he learns about the wishing well in the pilot, but he doesn't decide to go on the adventure until later, like episode two or three, just to kind of give it more space, because mm-hmm. it's a TV show, it's not a movie. So she felt like it was too much too fast, which again, made it feel too easy. And again, when an audience has too easy of an experience, they don't engage. So she was pitching me things like maybe he gets kidnapped at the end of the pilot. Maybe that's the hook because I kept telling her I need a hook. And she's like, well, maybe he gets kidnapped or maybe he just discovers the wishing well idea at the end of the pilot. And I kept struggling with these suggestions because at the end of the pilot, to me, a character just discovering information is not really that exciting Mm -hmm. unless the entire pilot has been about needing to discover a piece of information and then you finally get it at the end and that creates a new question or a new problem. Like, that's interesting. But in the setup of the pilot that I was already working on, the problem of the pilot is not I need to find something. The problem of the pilot is I am getting a divorce and my life is over, which means in the pilot, the hero needs to discover a solution to his divorce, i.e. this wishing well. And if that was the end of the pilot, hero going through divorce discovers a wishing well i'm kind of like meh <laughs> like even if i pitch that to you josh like oh like i'm watching this cool new show like this hero he, he gets a divorce at the top of the, the the pilot and then at the end he discovers a that there's a wishing well that exists it's like okay 
Well, does he go after it? Like, what is this wishing well? Yeah. Like, I have all these questions about that, which they're not good questions. They're not questions that excite me. Um, so it's an okay ending. It's just not great because I, I'm not invested in what the wishing well is yet. I don't know anything about it except that it exists. So I have no investment in how cool it is, uh, what it can solve. Is it real? Is it fake? I have no information at the end of that version of the pilot except that the wishing well exists, which again, maybe raises a couple questions, sure. but it's not the most exciting version. So to me, you coming back to watch episode two really hinges on the fact <laughs> in that version that wishing wells are cool. <laughs> you must think that in order for you to come back. And I don't want to just bet that you think wishing wells are cool because most people don't think wishing wells are cool, <laughs> right? Uh, Crazy. So something else that I didn't like about that version of the ending is it also felt very inactive. It doesn't really tell the audience what the hero is going to do next with this information. It doesn't really tell you what the show is going to be about. Just finding out that a wishing well exists kind of is a pretty passive thing to happen on screen. Just literally watching it on screen, it's, it's a passive thing. So instead what I did is I have somewhere in the sort of middle or back third of the pilot, the hero finds this old journal from a 19th century explorer who legend says he went crazy when he went out into the woods. But legend also says he came out of those woods healthy and rich as if he got his wish. And in the journal, this crazy explorer talks about finding the entrance to a magical land. Now, this was in many ways an answer to my manager's note. I no longer said in this inciting incident when the hero finds this journal that the crazy explorer wrote about finding a wishing well. Because she said we should bury that idea, right? It shouldn't be one to one. And so instead I said... This crazy explorer finds a magical land that grants wishes. And so now the hero thinks there's a magical land out there that can maybe solve all my problems. And halfway through the adventure, he's going to learn it's actually not a magical land at all because magical lands don't exist in this grounded world. It's a wishing well. Mm -hmm. So that was the kind of breadcrumb situation I decided on after hearing my manager's note about parceling it out a bit more. But back to the hook of the pilot. So just discovering a journal with a magical land to me did not seem exciting to the audience enough to want them uh, to want to have them want to come back to episode two. So to me, what would excite an audience to tune into episode two would be if the character makes a new choice. And that to me is always a big part of what I want my pilot hook to be is the characters making a new choice because that gets you really excited as an audience member. You're like, Oh shit, what's going to happen now that they've made that new choice. Right. Oh my gosh. Cause we invest in characters. We don't invest in objects, right? We invest in how characters feel about objects. So we invest in how an object is important to characters, but we typically don't invest in objects mm -hmm. without context. Right. So um, I'm also a firm believer that at the end of the pilot, you have to know what kind of show you're investing in. So the tone of the pilot has to be very clear. Like I can't feed my audience Texas barbecue in the pilot and then the actual show is vegan. Wow. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like you have to get excited and I have to get you better and better Texas barbecue. <laughs> like that's sort of this is the first metaphor that came to I want I want that on like it's a coffee mug. Uh, that that quote <laughs> right there. Can't feed Texas barbecue. And then give you vegan. So so for me, I, I, I love ending the pilots with, with a character action, which meant I wanted the hero to learn about this magical lamb that grants wishes in the middle or the back third of the pilot. And then at the end of the pilot, decides he wants to go on an adventure to find that thing. 
So now at the end of the pilot, you know what the show is. That's now super clear, right? Originally, my hero was already on the adventure by the end of the pilot, and it felt like that was too fast. My manager also felt it was too fast, but I didn't know how to fix that problem. That, that was sort of early stages. Mm-hmm. Because this problem of needing a hook came up, I needed. I knew I needed something more concrete at the end of the show. So this kind of became the better version of everything. We know what he's going after. We know it's going to be a crazy and dangerous adventure to get there because we've already set up the device of this journal that we've seen from someone over a hundred years ago who's gone on this similar journey and all these crazy things that happened to him. So we know this is going to be a bonkers journey and our character has decided he wants to go on it. Now, the next two episodes are then the hero like trying to get his friends together, trying to get more information before he actually embarks on the adventure. So we're not embarking on the adventure in the pilot, which is originally what I had, which again, I think is too fast. But by then we're already very invested. We know he's going to go on this adventure. We can sit back and have fun with him on how he launches himself into that adventure by like episode three. So that's all what I was thinking about. I put this pitch together. And just to kind of walk you through what the pitch looked like, because we rarely get an example that's this raw. I feel like we always talk very generally about stuff and like I'm sort of in it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. (laughs) So at the top of the pitch, I pitched why I was so invested in the show, right? Like why I love the original IP, the fact I have a poster of it in my office. I pitched why I would do a good job. Like I'm already writing two adventure shows in Tomb Raider, Mighty Nine, both of which are thematically driven. They're character driven. And then I pitched the pilot. And in that, I talked about the hero's status quo. I set that up. Um, And then I talked about how that status quo is disrupted by divorce. And I talked about, hey, I'm a child of divorce. This is how I felt when it happened to me, which is very important to always kind of like connect to the story you're telling to yourself and your own experiences in life if you have them. Um, And then I talked about this is how the character feels because this is how I felt. And these are the themes that we can talk about that are kind of the natural consequences of divorce that will challenge our characters in these difficult and unique ways along the way. Yep. And I talked about how the hero responds to the divorce in the pilot. He's despondent. He's hopeless. And then I pitched how he comes across this 19th century journal and how that feels like a solve for him. And then he realizes in the pilot that this is absurd. There's no magical lane that can fix divorce. That doesn't exist. But by the end of the pilot, with him... I have him like traveling by bus to this new place and he gets off the bus and he sees across the lake this exact tree that was drawn by the 19th century explorer in his journal that marks the starting point of this adventure to the magical land. So now we're out of the pilot on the hero realizing, oh shit, this thing could be real. And he's determined now, he said, he even says at the end of the pitch at the pilot, I'm going to go after this magical land to fix my divorce. (laughs) So obviously that's not real dialogue that exists in the pilot, but it's helpful in the pitch to just like give the people who I was pitching to a sort of landmark, a flag that, oh, okay, we're launching into the story now. And then I talked about what the season looks like. And because I come from features, I think in three acts, that's just how my brain works. So I usually say in my pitch, I look at the season as having a three-act structure. Act one is blank. And in this case, act one was discovery. It's the hero looking more into this magical land, finding clues around his world to make him realize, okay, this magical land, to some extent, might actually be a real and tangible place I can get to. And it's also the hero gathering resources, gathering his friends together. And I gave a few examples of all of those things in there. 
And then I said, act two is about survival. It's now going out on the adventure and all of the consequences therein um, of all the dangers they could face while they're going out after this magical land. Um, I pitched clues along the way. Um, and then I got to the low point, which is always my favorite part. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. But to me, the low point is always like the juicy part, right? It's right before the third act where the hero wins. It's the part where everything is falling apart. And it's falling apart because of character reasons. So the environment might instigate people to act terrible or it might bring out their flaws. But really, like, it's you're highlighting the character being their worst self or having their worst day and them reacting poorly. And so this was my opportunity in the pitch to talk about character. And I kind of broke away from telling the plot of what the season was going to be and how that that moved and really just sat with character. And I said, all this adventure is happening. Um, I'm, I'm guiding you through these different acts, but along the way, these are actually the character arcs that are going to be happening. And I walk through what happens in the low point, which in this case was the hero fighting with the people he was going on this adventure with and talking about how each of these relationship problems that are coming out in the low point can actually be linked back to an issue of family. Now, not divorce specifically, but just definitions of family, how everyone sort of thematically was in this umbrella of defining what family is. And that allows us to talk about different themes about family, which is what divorce is. And this is also where he talked about how the hero and his friends arc by the end of the season. Like, they start one way at the beginning of the show and they realize they have the strength to overcome that problem by the end. Then after I go through all of these characters, I launch into the adventure of Act 3, which is the kind of, basically like in this show anyways, the rush to the finale. It's kind of the exciting climax, the last couple episodes. And it's the hero getting to the magical land. It's finding out it's just a wishing well. It's overcoming any obstacles to get there, which I pitched a few of them. And then I kind of finished by saying... The hero makes his wish. He seems to get what he asks for. But the surprise ending of the show or the season is that the divorce is still going to happen. But he's grown so much over the course of this adventure that it doesn't devastate him the same way it did in the pilot. He's a changed man. So he wished for a happy family and he got one, just not in the way that he expected. And then the very end of the pitch is me just teasing very briefly how we can then expand the show into season two and beyond. So that was the structure of my pitch. Freaking brilliant. And I'm tired now just even thinking. No, about I was it. in. I was invested the entire way. It just <laughs> bums me out. Idiots. It bums me out too. What I love so much about it is the theme of divorce, and I think you touched on this, was like it really did permeate through all the characters and they were all going through their own kind of separation, whether it be with a parent or they're divorcing from a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a best friend, a location, whatever, whatever that is, you know, like it's not everyone's in your shows, like having people get divorced in their life. But I love that idea. And I love that theme of people just battling with like this separation and times change and life changes and change happens and it's inevitable. And that's what I love so much about this show. (laughs) I know. Me too. (laughs) Me too. It was really great. It was really great to to talk about those themes and to see them. Like, as you're saying, um, because if you, if you, the way I thought about it was like, you have divorce and then divorce causes all these other themes to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like self-loathing and regret and blame and all this stuff. And so sort of find the characters that can exhibit those themes and talk about them through their lives and yeah, their experience with a boyfriend or their experience with whatever a dog dies or like 
they they're not all experiencing divorce, but they can still experience the themes around divorce. And like, yeah. that was really interesting to me and felt so clean. Like I was like, I finally like found a secret on how to write a thematic show. And uh, I, I don't know. It just seems so obvious to me. So, okay. So that, that was the process of putting the pitch together, but I kind of want to talk about the experience and that's where this, this idea for this topic came up. Cause again, yeah. I just heard, I didn't get the job last night, so I'm still sort of processing all of it. And a big thing that we all hate about pitches is it takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of work. You and I were texting in October of last year and I only just heard in February that I didn't get the job. It was a lot of emotional investment in me. A lot of you and I had five in the morning texting each other about ideas. It took time away from writing another spec. Mm -hmm. It took time away from my actual work of shows I'm producing with my family. Like, all these other things, it takes time away because you have to be invested in it. And at the end of the day, I think this part is what's interesting to me, particularly about this job. It's not the same with all, with all jobs and all shows and all movies, but for this one in particular, it felt like after I landed on the divorce piece, the character piece, because that was the piece that, that I originally was like, well, I don't have a take because unless you have really high stakes emotionally, the show doesn't work. Like you can do whatever you want with the adventure. It doesn't matter. And in fact, the the producers on the show were having a very difficult time finding someone for this job because everyone was pitching the adventure first because when they saw the IP, they're like, oh, this is an adventure show, mm -hmm. obviously. But it's not. It's a character show. The stakes are really high in the original. So once I found divorce, I was like, great, the adventure can be anything. Like I landed on wishing well because I didn't have time to like find something else and I had to come up with a plot. But like, it could be anything. And that's kind of what I tried to talk about in my pitch. But what's interesting is the whole part of this process, I think, is very interesting, is like you don't really have an opportunity to talk with the executives to a really big extent before doing your pitch. You do an initial call usually, which is, hey, is there anything about this that you need to tell me? Like anything about the IP, anything, anything you've tried already that you don't want to try again? any problems you've you faced along the, the way of developing this before? Is there anything you want me to lean into? You already know that. And like the problem is you can get all this information, but typically they don't know what they want, right? Like they know they want a show based on this IP that they own, but they're not writers. They don't know what they want the show to be. If they did, they'd just write it themselves. Uh -huh. So they have no idea how to put the characters together. Uh, they don't know how to put them on an adventure people care about. They don't know how to get to a low point and then figure a way out of it. They don't know how to do the things that a writer does. However, they are good at hearing stories and hearing how stories work. And they've produced enough stories, this company in particular, that they do get like what a good story sounds like. So it's a situation where, where they will know it when they hear it which is an impossible target for a writer to hit, which is why we advocate on this podcast to just pitch the, the version you love and that you're invested in so that afterwards you feel like I feel about this pitch, which is like, I did my absolute best and I have no regrets because they just didn't like the version I pitched. And that's the version I would write. It would be about divorce. Like I wouldn't want to pick a different right. theme. If they gave me another theme, I'd be like, uh, I don't care about that theme. <laughs> and who knows what's going right? to happen and down the line with any of the, you know, they knows? might, some of the people that you pitch to might be like, I loved that pitch. I've always loved it that you've been in my mind for the last year. Here's what I want to work on with you. You know, and that seemed, I think we, totally. I, you know, the importance of just being true. 
Totally. And that, yes, I just had this conversation with another writer who said she didn't get a pitch. Um, she didn't get a job. And I was like, yeah, but you had a great meeting. They loved it. So it doesn't like it. Of course, it matters that you didn't they didn't buy your pitch. But yeah. <laughs> at the same time, like they will think of you for something else. A hundred percent. So that's always the benefit of pitching as well. And especially if you pitch from your heart, because they're going to see see all of that. But like I like to complain about this part of our job. But then I realize that like we do it too. Like when you have actors auditioning, Josh, you know this, like you put out a cast casting call for someone and like you hear auditions back and you're like, nope, 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 nope. And if you gave these people notes, most of them could probably address the notes and change their audition tape, but you kind of don't give them a chance. I feel like rarely have I come to a situation where I'm like, okay, let's give notes to these actors and have them try again mm -hmm. to see. Cause it is important for an actor to be able to take notes, but Point being that this exists all across our industry. It's not just writers, but it's very frustrating with writing because I do feel like, let's say, the perfect example of this would have been, I pitch you my show and they say, okay, well, like the wishing well thing isn't quite working. Let's have a conversation about what else it could be. And then let's see if Tasha can take notes and adjust her idea to something that we think it could, it, it could be better as. Um, and then that conversation could happen. However, do I want to do that if it's free work? Probably not. Yeah. Right? Like that's the catch 22 is like, I'm going to pitch you my take and you either take it or don't. If you hire me, then we'll have more additional conversations. But then I think the onus is on the producer to be like, well, we loved her character stuff. Uh, the wishing well stuff, not so much. So we'll just hire her and we'll work on that. Sure. Right? Because we know from her samples, we know from her writing that she's really good and so that we can get her there. It's just, it's just the sucky parts of pitching. I don't know. There, there's something that to tie some of this together. There is an actor I'm familiar with, kind of a friend of a friend, acquaintance, and he had a audition which was in a um, uh, like the callback, like uh, like a chemistry read thing, like far deep into the process. Where mm -hmm. at this point, the actor is now meeting with whoever's attached to star in the movie, and this could be the opposite of like a lead or you know very, a very big role in this movie. So the producers, the director all give notes and say to this actor who's coming in, because there's some physical aspects to this. They're like, we kind of want you to approach it this way. And you're going to do a chemistry read with this actor across from you, come in and, 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 and gave basically specifics of how they wanted this actor to do it. So the actor arrives and says, yeah, I don't want to do it that way. I have a different thing in mind. Are you just okay with me doing it my way? And they were like, okay. And then he was basically one of two. Uh, he got, he ended up getting the part. Like it came down, he like went down through the process. Holy shit. And this made me realize, and it made me think about like what you're saying. And this always makes me think about like pitching is, is this idea of like, when you're just, when you do it your way. And I think it's so hard to push back on, and I, I'm kind of jumping around here, but it's so hard to push back on these people that you kind of hold in a certain regard to be like, mm -hmm. no. Uh, I don't, I like, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm, I'm going to do it my way. And there's a delicate way to do that. And you know what? I hear more success stories yes. with that attitude than I hear the opposite. Same, same. There's, there's, there's a definitely a more diplomatic way to be like, I really hear what you're saying, but I think I have a different, different approach to doing this. So can I, yeah. can, this is the way that I would like to do it. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. <sighs> uh, I don't know. I, I also am reminded by that story and the story of this pitch that producers and studio executives don't actually understand the writing process 
at all. And they don't understand how much goes into coming up with a pitch. They don't understand that part of the pitch process is changeable. Mm -hmm. Like what the thing that I pitch you, it's up for discussion. Like we can have a conversation about this and potentially change it. Some things I don't want to change. Like the divorce thing, I think is the thing that I want to talk about, but the adventure stuff, like let's have a conversation about it. But you often see producers and studio execs, like not understand that notes are a thing. And th this is through the whole whole writing process, right? Just heard a story a couple weeks ago about a, a writer who was fired from a project. She turned in a great script, but they wanted it to be lighter in tone. And rather than give her notes to make it lighter in tone, they just fired her and hired someone else. It's like, just give her a shot. <laughs> you didn't even tell her what you wanted. <laughs> um, and I saw that all the time when I worked at Universal where writers are sort of tools. And I got very disillusioned when I was there because it, they, they, the execs sort of feel like writers are just plug and play. Oh, they wrote this comedy thing over here. Well, we need a punch up on comedy. I'll throw them in, in this script. Well, now they're going to change the whole fucking script because like they don't know this yeah. sh this movie. Like they're they're not invested in it the way that the original writer was. Give at least give the original writer a shot, <laughs> which is why the WGA fights so hard for having two step deals being mandatory. Like you have to give the writer a shot to revise. Yeah. You can't just fire them. Um, and it's because we can take notes, right? Usually, typically, hopefully. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> okay, but at the end of all this, I didn't get the job, right? My, my manager <laughs> was uh, very scared to tell me, but I didn't get the job. And again, I feel kind of okay about it. And my manager hated she had to deliver the news. But um, the thing that I actually hate about it is the, the one note we got back. Because I like to hear, okay, well, why didn't I get the job? So I can improve, right? The one note we got back was the other person went above and beyond. Oh, <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? Are oh, you fuck does that, that mean? I didn't. <laughs> Do you know any of the executives per, on, on a, on a, like a personal level? You have to find out what that means. No, maybe I can get my agents to follow up with them. This, to, uh, this is a must. This is a freaking yeah. must. This is because What ridiculous. does that mean? Uh, like insult to injury too. Come on. <laughs> you could just say like, oh, we, they just had a they just had a take that we we preferred. No, they went above and beyond. Oh, above and beyond. They um they had like AI come in and like act out certain scenes. I hate yeah. them. <laughs> you know what? The, we were uh, I was talking to Paul last night about um when Tomb Raider comes out. And like Rotten Tomatoes reviews start coming out yeah, or whatever. Hundred percent. IMDb stars start going up. Yeah, ten. Like, at, when will I feel like I've I'm okay with it? Like, at what star number will I be okay? And he's like, five stars, six stars, seven stars. I was like, ten, obviously yeah, ten. ten. He's like, well, you know, like ten, ten is is it's unlikely to get ten on pretty much anything, right? That that's a miracle. So like, what grade are you? And then I realized, okay, if they're ten stars. Then set then seven stars is a C, mm -hmm. eight stars is a B, nine stars is is an A minus, right? Yeah. And then when I started thinking about it that way, I was an A student growing up. So I was <laughs> like, I am not happy with the C. He's like, C is passing. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> if we C get seven stars, I'm gonna be very upset. Yeah. It has to be like eight and a half or higher. I think it has like to a be B plus or, or higher. I hate to say it, but I, I agree. I think it has to be there's something that I Someone used to always say it would be like, can you grade this one out of 10, but you can't use the number seven? And because it was such a distinct difference between 
oh, I, I feel six about this or I feel eight about this because eight means you actually yeah. like it. Six means you're like, eh. Seven, you're like, eh. Oh, uh, seven's like this dead area. It's kind of like, yeah, I, like don't, a, I don't know. It's like a non-rating. You're going to get, it's going to be Ugh. a 10. Oh, God. Oh, I feel sick. <laughs> I don't want to know what my rating is. How about that? <laughs> As a perfectionist, <laughs> I need an A minus or higher. Yeah. So this note of we, this person went above and beyond, like particularly killed me. Yeah. Because I'm like, I get A pluses. <laughs> what do you mean? I go above and beyond. I need to know. I need to know. <laughs> I really do. I'll find out. Please. I'll find out. I'll call my agent back finally. <laughs> <laughs> We've been trying to call you to tell you they created a wishing well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We all went to it as part of the bid. They took us on a trip. <laughs> man. Oh, man. All right. Well, that, all right. that was... That's my pitch story. That was great. <sighs> Quote of the day. Quote of the day. All right. The road to hell is paved with works in progress. <laughs> Philip Roth. <laughs> okay. Oh, Please no. remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act Two Podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Mm-hmm.